0: This is the Final Fix podcast.
1: This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance
2: abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation. And as we have healed through discussing, we wanna share our
0: experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed and to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any
1: episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. All right, welcome to the Final Fix podcast. We have JD with us. Uh, Go ahead and let him introduce himself and uh, begin to tell us a little bit about himself.
3: Yeah. Uh, so my name is Jordan Daniel. I go by JD. Uh, that's kind of the indicator of how long you may or may not have known me. I work in the youth athletic space and I see a lot of day to day interactions with kids and families who, you know, I would assume, you know, I never know for sure, but, uh, different kids that struggle, you know, with families with substance abuse. My, a little bit of my personal background. Um, both my parents were, alcoholics pretty, pretty heavily through my youth and then leading into my adult life. My parents, ironically enough, they owned a liquor store while one of my parents was in recovery and another one was in active addiction. So I saw the differences between my mom versus my dad and then a lot of just honestly day-to-day interactions with their customers to get get their little bit while they could to get them to function through the day. And so I feel like I've seen, you know, addiction and you know, a lot of times recovery in a few different ways. I've kind of internally on my own, unpacked a lot of the different things that have gone on in my own life recently. And like I was telling Alex, Alex before this, I haven't spoken publicly about pretty much everything we're going to talk about today. So this is exciting, a little exhilarating, and a little a little scary for sure so it's going to be fun
1: definitely and i can respect that like the first time you really talk about it there's even no matter how much work you've done individually i feel like there's just so many more doors that open one thing like that i want to immediately jump off like if somebody's struggling with alcoholism owning a liquor store is probably like the best way <laughs> to go about your life living as normal as you can like yep yeah the uh, i guess with the legalization and like normalization of drinking, was there, you said that one parent was going through recovery while one was going through active addiction. Was there like, did they realize that there was issues or was it just kind of not talked about? Do you, were you involved in that at all?
3: I wasn't super involved in it. Um, okay. So that was, I was 19 when my parents opened their liquor store. My mom had worked uh, in the state, Ran liquor stores my entire life. She was an estate employee. And then in yeah, 20, 2009, my parents, they got their own license and you know went and worked for themselves. But those were not conversations or anything that I was really a part of. It was more just kind of observing and seeing some different instances. Because at that point, my mom had been in recovery for four years. She, yeah, She went to treatment when I was 15. So I was 19. So she was about four years sober at that time. And where, where's that now? Like, where are they now? Uh, so my mom actually died uh, December 14th, 2020. Uh, Sorry, she on. had pancreatic cancer. And my dad, um, he was seven or eight years sober um, up until the time when my mom died. And he actually he did relapse after my mom died, and he's been. Just shy of a year sober.
0: Okay, well that's um, awesome that he's back, back yeah, going. Definitely. I just want to uh, make a comment. I've I've uh, known JD for oh, my God, twenty five years, 20, 20, Something 25 guy, years. Yeah. And when when you first reached out, I think I knew your parents owned a liquor store, but it just kind of goes back to the the fact that I had no idea your parents were alcoholics, and I've met your parents a million times, so so it it just shows how hard it is to tell what people what's going on in someone's personal life,
3: yeah, no, it's really it's one of those things that I didn't even notice or truly realize until I was a little bit older and able to reflect on some different things that had happened um to know like how how bad it was in certain aspects and I'm sure we'll you know we'll dive into that as we're talking, but it was a lot of things that I didn't even notice or really realize.
1: That was actually going to be the, like our, my first question is when did you, you know, hindsight, looking back, you can see the sign, but when was the first time as an adult, you realized like, Hey, something's wrong. Something's not right here.
3: So the first time that I noticed that something was wrong, it was actually my 15th birthday. Uh, We went out to dinner as a family and of the, of the two of my parents, my mom is a lot more outspoken and, and loud. So different things that she would do, you know, it was, it was public. It was talked about. It was seen. Um, but one thing that she didn't do in front of us as kids growing up was drink. It was, you know, hey, mom, we're going out. We're going to, you know, run around and be kids. And then you come back and mom's sitting on the couch and she's kind of talking funny. Um, but it was never something that she participated in, in front of us, um, until actually on my 15th birthday, we were at Red Lobster and she ordered a drink with her dinner and we were a little bit thrown off. Um, I don't remember necessarily saying anything. Um, but yeah, my mom actually checked herself into treatment shortly after my 15th birthday. Um, cause I think things within, you know, with her internally had just gotten to that point where she was ready to make a change.
1: That's awesome. Going through to that point, not realizing that there was uh, an issue, I guess you had to have had some you know, pretty happy memories with them that that weren't as impacted by the substance abuse that alcohol yet. What would you like as far as your childhood goes, what would you say like your happiest mem- memories with your parents
3: are? That's that's a tough one, because, yeah, I would say that I, I grew up very, very lucky, very blessed. You know, both my parents were around. I played sports both my parents were participants in my life it wasn't like anyone was separated or you know apart or anything like that so i you know i have a lot of really good memories just with with my family as a whole that's kind of tough to pick out one one thing or like one story in particular that i could really like nail down as one
1: yeah you're good no that's yeah. that presence is huge that um that they were actively involved in your life that's something yeah. a lot of people don't get that's that's awesome so that moment of your mom going and getting help hitting the internal what was the moment for your dad that what was that thing that drove your dad to get help the first time
3: so my dad actually he the first time he got sober he just went cold turkey he didn't seek any help he didn't you know wasn't involved in AA. i think things had just gotten to a boiling point within you know his life and my parents relationship because obviously my mom had gone and you know gotten help and was sober and, you know, actively participating in AA while my dad was not. And, you know, one of the things that my mom always used to talk about in her recovery was the world's not going to stop for, for you, you know? So a lot of us, we kind of thought we had to handle things almost like a kid's gloves type situation. Like, oh, we can't, you know, talk about booze in front of mom and we, you know, no one can have a drink if we're out as a family or And that's like to extended family because I was obviously not old enough. But S.H.I.E.L. would always say, like, the world's not going to stop for me. I have to be able to navigate this as a part of my life. And it's just choices and different things that I have to make. You know, so my parents, you know, again, outside looking in, being a a young child to a young adult, not really involved in a lot of those conversations, my dad just kind of went about what he was doing. And I think, yeah, it just finally got to a boiling point and probably an issue between them where he just stopped drinking.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine the uh, the thought process that must have been going through his head because he saw your mom's recovery and, you know, the progress she was making, the good that she was doing. And it's hard, like, especially if that was something they enjoyed doing together, like going mm-hmm. from that to seeing her bettering herself and, and making this change for him to be like, all right, shit, like it's, I got to do something here. Um, I can, I mean, I can empathize that that was probably a tough thing for him to do, but also like, that's pretty awesome that he just, you know, decided to make it.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I want to touch back on your mom's recovery really quick. So you, you said that you were pretty much as a whole, your family, I mean, your dad probably knew, but you and your brother, uh, were unaware of your mom's drinking problem or any issues she was having. So what was that, what was that experience like when she checked herself in? Because in your eyes, it sounds like you didn't know. So all of a sudden mom was just gone, right? Or she just went, she just had to go do this thing. What was that experience or how was that explained to you? Yeah. So, I mean, it was,
3: it wasn't that my, specifically my mom's drinking was like something I was unaware of. Mm -hmm. It was just something that I didn't as a kid really know how bad it was. You know, I'm, I'm the baby of the family and looking back now, There's a lot of different things that were explained to me different ways or things that I was unaware of my entire life, which is kind of funny. And, you know, those are jokes and different things that we get to make now between my brothers and my dad that we can talk about. So like I knew my mom drank. I didn't know that it was necessarily problem drinking. There's a couple different memories, one of which that we joke about a lot as a family. That's kind of how we process things and we joke about it. Like there was. I'll give you a a slimmed down version of the story. Mom had had a couple drinks and she made dinner and dinner wasn't, wasn't too good. (laughs) It was like, it was chicken and rice. The chicken wasn't cooked all the way through. And the rice was like crunchy. It wasn't cooked all the way through. So she had like made dinner and cleaned up. um, And she had put like different things, like things in the wrong place. So like the ranch bottle goes in the refrigerator it didn't go back in the refrigerator, like ice cream in the cupboard type stuff. So we, as a family, we joked about that all the time um, because when, you know, whether it was my dad, my brother, or myself, we're like, mom, this, this food's not like edible. She <laughs> said, and the, the joke is just fry it, just fry it. She had had a couple and the word try didn't come out quite right. So just fry it, just, just fry it, just fry it. It was a, a family joke that we, I mean, still <laughs> to this day joke about, I probably talked to my dad about that like two weeks ago.
2: <laughs> we come uh, from like kind of the same perspective in that we're both the youngest, both kind of explain things differently when we were younger. Was there any point where you realized before you were an adult, that like, that stuff kind of wasn't adding up and that stuff was, uh, you know, different in ways that, you know, aren't supposed to be different
3: i would say really like when my mom went to treatment is what it was because kind of how alex was saying it was almost like a surprise because you know like mom drank and dad drank and like the adults in my life just drank and that's just what it was so then all of a sudden it was mom's mom's gonna go away and get some help for a little bit and i'm like what is what like, what's this about? You no, know, she's drinking. She's going to rehab. You know, there was a program she was in. was in, inpatient when you go away. So she was in an inpatient treatment for, I think, 40, from or 60 days. We were able to visit and we had like meeting family meetings with the counselors and those different things. So I, that was probably the time that it threw me off the most because it just was the adults in your life drink to the adults in your life drink a little bit too much and they need some help. Yeah.
1: Those uh, meetings with the the counselors, is there anything that you remember that like really helped you understand or helped you connect? Like even anything that your mom might have said that you realized, like, all right, this is like, this is good for her. This is good that we're processing this together.
3: Yeah. The, uh, the lead up for my mom going to treatment was super weird um, because she she had a pack, obviously. And there was a whole host of things that she wasn't allowed to bring with her. And the one that stuck out to me the most was mouthwash. She was not allowed to bring mouthwash with her. And I was like, why, like, why can you not bring mouthwash? And she looked me dead in the face and he goes, cause people will drink it. And yeah. like the, the thought of someone being so dependent on a substance or anything that they would drink mouthwash just blew me away. Like I, I almost couldn't comprehend it. And then going through, you know, the family meetings and the counseling, I think for the first one or two, I just kind of sat in the corner and just listened, didn't say, you know, they would ask, Oh, Jordan, what do you think about this? Or how does this affect you? And And I was like, I, I had no idea. I didn't know. But yeah, those her packing up and the thought of people needing a drink so bad, they would drink mouthwash and sitting in family counseling meetings were two big things
2: again, because we're very similar in this, when you got older, did you find uh, a way to kind of see how you were feeling when you were younger? Because you couldn't, you know, comprehend those feelings at the time. Is there any way that you, you know, realize that you were feeling a certain way and some of your actions were different because of that? Because I found myself, you know, very depressed, but not knowing I was depressed. And mm-hmm. you, I've known you since I was, you know, probably five or six years old. And every single time I see you, you know, you have the biggest smile on your face. And so I just wonder how you kind of coped with that and realized your feelings from before.
3: Being able to comprehend it in the moment was not really a thing. It was definitely done in reflection, but I was able to, everything happened at a time in my life where it just kind of, it almost, it was what it was. My family honestly did a really good job of coming together in the moment. The biggest thing was like my mom's treatment. You know, obviously my dad, you know, had his issues and continues to have his issues and everything it is. But like my dad did a really, really good job to make sure that I was okay. My older brother really did a good job of making sure that I was, I would say probably didn't allow me a lot of opportunity to reflect until much later. But it was, you know, mom is, mom's sick, mom's getting some help, and, you know, we're going to get through it. It was just, yeah, I had a very, very strong family system in spite of, you know, the the issues that we had going on at home.
1: I mean, that's, that's awesome, especially if, you know, like, if mom is the anchor, and then all of a sudden she's gone, like, a lot of the time you see those family units fall apart. And so yep. for years to be able to come together stronger is, is huge during this period, you talked about in your childhood, like sports being a huge thing. I know sports are still a huge thing, but did any part of that stop then? Or did you like go full bore, you know, further into the sports or, you know,
3: you know, I mean, sports were, as I was growing up when I was really young, sports were just something that I did. Like it yeah. was just an activity. It was, it was, a part of my life, and the, the ecosystem, you know, my dad coached, my brother played basketball, my brother played soccer. Um, so sports and athletics was just something that I did. Um, I really started to, it turned into an outlet for me as I got older and it became something that I wanted to pursue a little bit more seriously. And it was just, my life was really focused on, you know. Playing basketball, trying to get better, getting stronger, basically from, I'd say, 16, all of, you know, through up into my early 20s. I don't know if I could pinpoint and say like, oh, these things are going on and now I want to take this more seriously. I don't know if they coincided. I think it'd probably just be more of like a timing, uh, just a timing thing. You know, I was after my freshman year of high school, I was like, I want to take this more seriously. I want to do this. So I just, I just, I mean, I went, I went head first and I just pursued it.
1: The, the reason why I asked that, and I don't know if, if Dom, if you mind me sharing, there's like two, two paths kind of like when we first started having issues with Dom, I really dove into like just anything I could do to keep myself busy, to like work on myself, to fully distract myself. And I know Dom, like that was a point where like sports kind of fell off a little bit and like, you know, you weren't as,
2: you didn't find joy with as many of the things you were doing before. Yeah, the biggest realization uh, that came to me is when I broke my ankle, uh, because time kind of stopped, you know, it's always two practices a day, two basketball teams, you know, all the football stuff. And when, you know, something that's occupies so much of your time, so much of your thoughts, you know, you're bringing home playbooks, you're memorizing them, you have homework, you know, all this stuff, when you're not doing that anymore. And you're sitting in your room all summer, you know, it kind of gets to you. And then you realize that, you know, your mom texted you and then it's been three weeks since she texted you. And it's kind of weird. And after that, I just don't feel like I felt the love uh, for it anymore. You know, I got out of shape uh, and I don't think I was mentally ready to get back in shape and get myself back on the horse. It was a rough time. I want to switch gears here. You talked about working with, with kids
1: and, you know, from the outside perspective, assuming that they might have stuff going on too uh, in their family, when you're in those situations, is there anything you do? I don't know, like what your boundaries are for anything that you can do, but like, what would you say if you could talk to any of those kids, knowing that they're going through something similar to what you went through?
3: Yeah, there's there's definitely some boundary things that I'm not able to to touch and to go into. You know, I can't just out outright ask certain questions, but the approach I really just try to take with it if I'm, you know, dealing with a kid who's, I mean, any kid who's struggling, really, whether it's, you know, someone who, you know, home life is just unstable for X, Y, Z reasons, or you'll see parents that, you know, again, you can never say definitively, but you look, it just looks and kind of feels like, you know, similar to situations that I, you know, was a part of as a kid. And I'm sure you guys can see those same things as well. I just do my best to make sure that, that kid that I'm talking to or dealing with or interacting with in any way, they know that I'm there. They know that I, that I love them, that I am someone that can be a safe space for them to lean into. And I mean, yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't need to be as deep as oh, my mom and dad are having this trouble and, you know, my parents fight a lot, you know, the way that a 10 year old is going to try to articulate something to you. It doesn't have to go that deep. It can just be as like, you know, if I see you after school, I give you a high five and I say, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Just trying to check in and just be be an anchor point for kids who are struggling.
1: Yeah. And there's something about that consistency that helps them to realize like Mm -hmm. that you are there because that's one thing that you talked about, like having both of your parents present and active in your life some of these kids don't have that. So you become that person, especially when you're a focal point in the community where people are seeing you. Like I think of Papa Jim and, and the role that he played in so many people's lives, even though people don't really know him and you know he was drinking quite a bit, but like he was still like present and there for so many people um, that that becomes, you know, a, a thing that people realize they can turn to you and they can come to you and it's like, oh shit, like, who do I, who can I talk to about this? And then, you know, JD, like you, you pop up. And also like, I feel like there's, cause I've worked a lot with kids too. And I feel like there's a sort of like gravitational pull almost when we've dealt with stuff that when a kid is dealing with something similar, they almost like inherently know they can come talk to you. Yeah. It's a feeling. It's a feeling
0: for sure. I've had an experience coaching and, you know, we've, we've coached in ref basketball and, We've been all over Washington state, (laughs) uh, refing basketball and all that good stuff together. But one memory that sticks out to me from coaching, um, separate from us, but I recently was coaching an an eighth grade team and, um, something happened on the floor and they came over and I was grabbing my clipboard and I raised my hand to talk. And one of my kids like literally flinched when I raised my hand to talk. And I had seen those signs, you know, whether they were late to practice or didn't want to go home after practice or whatever it was. And so just trying to be that person that, you know, that I wasn't trying to be somebody that they could talk to, but I just wanted to, like, after the game, I just, you know, I, I just made sure I was like, you, you know, you okay? And, but have you had any of those similar experiences? Cause I know you've coached and you've worked with a lot of kids from all different backgrounds. Have you had any similar situations like that? Yeah,
3: similar situations where, you know, in, you know, in the, in the realm of sports, there's times where you have to raise your voice. Mm-hmm. Um That's the biggest one that I've seen reactions to. And they're very like subtle. Mm-hmm. It's just like you said, you know, you put your hand in the air and a kid flinched because, you know, at home that probably means that if a hand goes up, it's coming down at them pretty quick, you know, and that's just a survival instinct that that kid in that situation just you needed to have that because if you didn't flinch and put your hands up, it didn't end up, it didn't end as well. But yeah, raising, raising my voice. I, I have a loud voice that, that does carry just naturally. So I've seen different, very subtle reactions to, to my voice in particular and just loud voices. So in those types of situations, I always make sure that yes, I am loud. My voice does carry. I'm trying to instruct a group or there, there's a moment where, you know, the gym is loud and like, I need to be heard. I get loud and I'm heard and the message is delivered, but I will try to like pull a kid aside and explain things to them and just give them an opportunity to hear me in a regular speaking voice. So they know that it's not me being angry or frustrated with them. It's just, this is a moment where I need to raise my voice. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to attack you, but I'm going to make sure that you get a very, an opportunity very quickly to hear me at a calm, at a calm level, making sure I'm able to check in, you know, Hey, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, and just those cues like that, those are that's so raising your voice is the biggest one that I see reaction to.
0: I found that, um, in those situations, if I've noticed a, a kid is, um, being extra hard on themselves or in this situation the same kid that, that I shared before I would um, always end with you know if they were out of position on defense or something like that and I had to raise my voice at them or, or whatever it was like you said pulling them aside and then telling them what they're doing right I noticed it was a huge shift in the way the message got across because I don't think that in situations where there's you know, uh, an unstable home life or substance abuse or whatever's going on at home. I don't think that, that unfortunately kids are not being told a whole lot what they're doing. Right. And so I found that that was something that worked in this particular situation.
2: I also wanted to add that, um, what you do at the boys and girls club coaching, refing, whatever, uh, it really is important and it is appreciated. Um, even when I was going through all my stuff, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go to the game. Uh, you know, I was getting dragged out of bed to go to the game, uh, you know, and, you know, show up at the boys and girls club, there's JD telling me like, Hey, what's up, how you been? You know, you're going to have a great game and stuff like that. You do re like, you do acknowledge that when you're going through stuff like that, you know, like you are a positive person to talk to and a safe space. Um, and I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but you are appreciated for what you do day to day, you know, with all these kids and mentoring these kids
3: thank you dom i appreciate that man no it really it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier is i want to be able to be a you know a pillar and a figure in a in a safe space you know you guys are perfect examples i i have the relationship that i have with you guys through you know through sports through the boys and girls club through what i've done you know for 20 years um, and I'm not nearly old enough to have been doing something for you know 20 years. Um, but it is, you know, it's something that I've, that I've done and I really have, you know, created my life in a way to be able to do that. So even something as simple as like the compliment you just gave me, Dom, which again, man, thank you. I, I see people at the grocery store and I get, you know, I can get a full blown conversation. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, Oh my gosh, you're that basketball ref, or you're the guy from the Boys and Girls Club. I, uh, you know, I get that all the way up to, you know, a head nod of, hey, I remember you from when I was a kid. I might not know exactly how to deal with this situation, but I acknowledge you when I see that. And I mean, having those small in- interactions is just, it's huge for me. It really is a small payoff for the the different types of things that I try to do.
1: Now, is everything that you try to do does that come natural to you, or is there like? Is- is there i guess anything that has helped you along the way as you've kind of carved out this this world in in sports and then helping the kids and like where does this kind of come from i guess
3: um i w- i would say a lot of it is natural just from trying to be you know just trying to be positive try to be approachable try to be someone that you know people can have conversation with um but i i would say that i've learned things throughout my life in I don't want to say that I have like more negative influences in my life because I don't think that's true. But I think what stuck out to me more was the like, oh, don't do that. Yeah. You know, don't do it like that. You see someone reacting to a kid in a way and it's like, yeah, that doesn't work. You see, you know, in the workplace, you know, people, you know, a manager that is just a complete ass. It's like, don't do that. You see how people are reacting negatively to that. So yeah, I would say it's, it's mostly natural, but I definitely do things with intention to do it differently than I saw a lot of things. Sure,
1: sure. I mean, there's a lot of motivational factors there. Like, you either want to mirror somebody in a positive light or a negative light. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with where that motivation, well, I guess if it's selfish motivation, but like, I don't think there's anything wrong with with where the motivation comes from because you're using it in a positive, impactful way. Like <laughs> you're, you're doing good with it. I want to circle back to stuff with your parents um, and kind of what, if you could go back and you had young JD on your team and you saw some of these things happening and you've talked about that, like some of the connections didn't get made till later on, but is there a way that you would um, kind of approach you now? Or like, is there something you wish you could say to to the young JD?
3: That's a loaded question. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> we're here to get deep. We're here to get deep. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm here for it. No, I mean, the biggest thing that I think I would go back and tell, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, young Jordan leading up, that I internalized a lot of things as if they were my fault or as if I had control over them. A book that I read in a guy who I follow his name's uh, Dr. John Deloney. You guys should check him out. His stuff is dope. He has a book called Own Your Past, Change Your Future okay. that I read quickly and I I got into it. It's very good. You should definitely check it out. Um he explains it as children are often, you know, children who are who experience trauma um, you know, broken ish home lives and those types of things, they feel that they are responsible for the emotional regularity of the adults in their life. And that hit me upside the head, like a cinder block, because that's just how that's how I felt. That's how that's what it was like growing up. Um If I got in trouble, or if I did something wrong, because I mean, you know, kids do stupid stuff all the time. All the time it was it was never ever oh i did x y and z and that was wrong it was my dad's gonna be so pissed my mom is gonna react in this way that's actually not fair the reaction the apparent reaction i was always scared of was my dad's mom bailed me out of some stuff (laughs) shout out to you mom but yeah it was it was never like oh this is right or this is wrong it was my dad's going to be so pissed. I'm yeah. scared because of how pissed off my dad's going to be.
1: <laughs> now that's, that's interesting that you say that. Cause that's kind of what I was thinking when, you know, hearing Dom talking about different experiences with some of the kids and hearing what you're talking about wanting to be the positive light. And I wondered if there's like any sort of, and I don't want to get too psychological, like but people pleasing aspect of, of trying to control other people's happiness and their reaction to you. Or if you've even thought about, you know, Stuff like that.
3: No. Oh, I de- I definitely have, and it's the it's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's you know, you I said it from the child's perspective. You know, children are responsible for the emotional regularity of the of the adults in their lives. But people who grow up as people pleasers, they they have to do that with everyone because you you know I use the the parent to kid example often just because it's it's very simple and I feel like you see it a lot. If the kid is responsible for making sure that mom and dad don't get too upset that their older brother doesn't hear something a certain type of way or a kid needs to act in a way to protect themselves. That doesn't go away as you as you age. You know, I it's it's something that I struggle with. Like now, like I I am very I try to be very aware of people's emotions around me now I don't think it comes from a place of like, Oh, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, this person is going to get upset with how I say something, but it's just, I am, I am cognizant of the emotions of the people around me.
1: I was just going to say, I mean, that's, there is a maturity that comes with that where it like turns from this thing that is a coping mechanism as a child to using it as a tool as an adult. That's like a, A beneficial thing but a lot of the time it does stem from some bullshit when we're kids that we're working on correcting i mean we were just talking the other night about um something similar with me like is a like natural tendency to just and it like stems in anxiety and all kinds of stuff now but like just work 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 or like making sure that everything i do looks so great on paper so that everybody can be proud of me because i have no value unless i'm doing these things like it's just this little yep. stuff that just continues on through adulthood but unless totally. you stop and like work on it then it's it's hard to break
0: it's funny because you're talking about making sure that the uh, or kids emo- are regulating the emotions of their parents or making sure that they are pleasing and, and things like that but um um, something I've since we started this whole process something I've noticed um, and I don't know how often I've done it I caught myself just the other day saying to Jackson he was doing something that I didn't really have an issue with but I know it upsets Brooke and my comment to him was hey you probably shouldn't do that you know it's going to make Brooke mad and I immediately thought to myself that was a terrible comment because now he's going to worry that he's going to know that i'm not mad but she's going to get mad so the next time maybe if they're fighting it's because i did that she got mad and he wasn't mad. like you know so i was like oh my gosh you know (laughs) self-realization moment i can't say that to him and it wasn't even he wasn't in trouble it wasn't a huge deal but it was still like you can't make those comments to kids right because The, the, for the rest of their life they're going to worry about did i cause a fight between somebody
1: there's a to humanize that a little bit though you're never going to be perfect like oh, you're yeah. never going to there's never going to be there's always going to be something that a book is going to tell you like if you do this like it's going to kill your kid for the rest of their life like it's going to mm-hmm. mess them up for the rest of their life there's always going to be that kind of stuff being aware of it you know is the fir- like the most important thing being aware and like thinking about these interactions because that a lot of parents, especially like our generation's parents didn't do, um, or were just beginning to do, like, I can't take away complete credit, but um, I think our parents' generation was just starting to kind of get some of the emotional stuff down. And I think we're kind of taking that forward. Um, yeah,
3: for sure. And I think, uh, Alex, just to kind of touch on what you had said, you know, how, how you worded that to Jackson that like, Oh, this, this is going to make her upset that, internalization. And then, you know, just like you said, existential moment. Oh God, I'm going to ruin the kid. I think you're like, those moments are going to happen. And sorry for mild parenting advice from your parentless friend or (laughs) your childless friend. Um, But it's like, it's all, it's having those moments and then also being able to catch yourself and realize it and, you know, apologize and, you know, to human, humanize that moment and humanize that experience, you know, when you, you know, you lose your temper and you raise your voice, whatever it is, you know being able to go back and like hey i got very upset right there that was something that i shouldn't have done i'm sorry yeah. mm-hmm. and that you you have both you have both experiences
1: i think that does so much for the kids too like the taking the second and acknowledging and apologizing like that helps them to learn so much more um and you know realize especially like even if you, it was something you did throughout his whole childhood and then you acknowledge it and like you work on it when he's a little older like there's specifically in my head i'm thinking of adults that are like you're gonna make me sad if you don't give me a hug or you know they yes. would, you're gonna make dad sad like that's such a messed up thing to do to a kid like you you're telling your kid directly that they control your emotions <laughs> like yeah and i've known that that's a messed up thing for a long time but it's still something that like not that I do, but like I've I've seen like caught that would be an easy tactic to do mm-hmm. to get your kid to do something. But it's like, yeah, no, because that's like I don't know. It's just messed yeah. up in my
3: head. But and then you take you take that even like a step deeper, and then that kind of communicates to a kid that they don't have autonomy over themselves. Yeah. Like if they're uncomfortable with you know giving the the creepy uncle a hug or whatever, and you as a parent are like, give them a hug like that's that's teaching your kid that they don't have autonomy over themselves and that you know i mean you get into the whole no means no and yeah. the, the snowball oh yeah I'm, I'm a girl it can dad. be really deep i'm a girl dad, so it's like <laughs> yeah. i'm teaching her like she today i like went to give her a hug she's like don't touch me then i'm like okay <laughs> I'm like okay you're like i'm gonna go cry in the corner because yeah. that really upsets me but yeah. you're a child and i can't let you have that power over yeah <laughs>
0: Exactly. I think the question um, relating back to your parents, when you we were talking about having those tough conversations uh, in, a, in a previous episode, did your parents ever talk to you about maybe less about alcohol because it was something they were doing, but did you have a conversation with your parents about drugs and alcohol and, you know, I think last night I heard the phrase, you know, sex drugs and the sex drugs and rock and roll talk, you know, uh, but was there ever a a conversation about drugs and, or, or alcohol and what to stay away from?
3: Yes. Yes. And no. Um, the big thing that I got as a kid was do as I say, not as I do. So my, I said my, my parents drank, my dad was slamming beers as a kid, like my whole life, my dad's my dad smoked, my mom used to smoke before I was born. So, you know, dad's sitting there in the living room with a cigarette in hand, you oh, know, you know, this shit's bad for you. Right. And I'm like, o- okay, dad. Like I just, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that it was off because that's just, that's just what my life was. That's just how it was. So, I mean, we definitely had talks and different conversations about it, but there was no like sit down and, you know, Hey, this is why you shouldn't do these things. It was just like, yeah, dad having a drag of a cigarette talking about don't ever start doing this. Okay, dad, you know, dad throwing back beers, the recycling bin just being full of beer cans and just stinking the high hell. My older brother, one of my older brothers, he's six and a half, almost seven years older than me. So right when he was in the, the high school glory days. I, I got to see, you know, him have a couple too many drinks and, you know, friends were over or whatever, you know, and he's, he's throwing up and actually, again, things that we joke about that are, you know, a little dark, but, uh, my brother was, had some friends over, they were drinking and my brother was upstairs in the bathroom, puking his guts out and I'm 11, 10, 11 years old asleep and my dad is screaming at my older brother, how does this feel? This is why you shouldn't do that. Imagine if your little brother sees you mm-hmm. and I'm pretending to be asleep hearing this entire thing But you know, that's again, the way that we've kind of processed trauma and we crack jokes about it. And it's, it's something that we talk about, you know, that was just another incident or instance of like, don't do that. Don't, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, okay, yep, don't do that. That's what I shouldn't do. So it was more more of those instances than like a sit down talk, um, but multiple instances like that.
0: Was it a, did it impact you like profoundly enough? Like I, I don't, you and I have never like gone and gotten a drink or anything like that. Have you drank uh, or do you like, is it a rare occasion or did that impact you enough to where you're like, like Dominic, he doesn't drink. He's like, I have no interest in drinking, right? Has that has that impacted your adult life? Now that you know you're, you fully could drink if you wanted to, but has the, those life events kept you from doing that? I do not drink at
3: all for the exact reason of what I saw growing up. I just, I, yeah, I, I don't drink. I mean, I have, I have before, like it's not like never touched it, but it was slightly like a peer pressure type situation. But shortly after that, I was like, I just, I don't have an interest in it. It kind of scared me a little bit especially because I have a very kind of an almost like an addictive personality where like if I'm doing something it's there's no halfway there is like I'm not doing it or we are elbows deep Mm -hmm. and you know I when I was younger I used to have thoughts of like well you know I'm you know 22 23 and you know, I could have a drink with like dinner or whatever. And I was like, no, I don't, I have no interest in it because of what I saw growing up and what I've seen just throughout my life. I don't, I have no interest
0: now. The normalization, I think we talked about that alcohol is, is unique in the, um, addiction space, if you will, because it's not really sought, it's not looked at as being terrible, right? Like you said, it was just normal that you're your parents drank, and it was normal that our mom drank wine. And you you see people drinking at the bar. You see you go to anybody's house and you see their liquor cabinet. Like alcohol is so normalized that I think growing up, it's in our in our situation. Our mom ended up on hard drugs, and it got worse. And that's when we knew that there was a clear problem. But had our mom continued to just drink, I don't know that I would have ever assumed there was a problem. Like you said, as a child. Um, because alcohol and smoking cigarettes, and that's it's just so normalized in our society. It's just what adults do, and so I think mm-hmm. it makes it really hard for kids or family members to to notice a problem.
3: Yeah, no, it really, it really is. Just like you said, it's it's so normalized. It's just it is it's something that adults do. You know, I've seen that. I see that at the Boys and Girls Club. You know, if we have like a group of kids outside or we're doing something, you know, there's there's references to drinking. There's references to you know, smoking cigarettes. And it's it's not something that you think about. Uh, one instance in particular, we had a group of kids outside and there was like a crushed beer can. It was a, it was a white claw can is what it was. Uh, it was a crushed white claw can just like on the grass. So I go to pick it up to go throw it in the trash. And a kid goes, hey, that's a white claw. My mom drinks those. And, you know, I mean, I obviously giggle, but yeah, that's a perfect example of it's just it's normalized. It's what adults do, and no one thinks twice about it, really. As until an adult, it's a problem.
1: Yeah, as an adult, it's almost weird if you don't like. Yeah, it's very hey, weird.
3: I get, I get people. Sorry, not to cut you off. You're good. But I get people who, you know, are like, oh, hey, what are you drinking? Water's good. Good for a coke, like whatever it is. And like, oh, you don't want a beer? You don't want this? You don't want? That. No, I'm good. Oh, do you, and then, and then the conversation starts like, Oh, do you drink at all? No, I don't. Oh, why? I just choose not to. Cause you know, I don't want to get into the conversation of, well, both my parents were raising alcoholics as a child, you know, like that's a, that's a select conversation. So it's, yeah, it's weird. I it, I used to get it a lot more, you know, being younger, 19, 20, 21, 22. But as I've gotten older, it, it happens less, but yeah, younger, like I said, like 19 to about 22 like, Oh, Hey, you want a beer? Nope. I brought a Gatorade with me and this is what I'm drinking and leave me alone. Oh, you don't drink. And no, I don't. I mean, that's just, I don't do that.
1: It's funny. Not, it's not funny, but like how people assume that, you know, who, who are they to be, to ask you and to like, try to get into your business. And like, if somebody tells you like, no, I, I don't, I'm good. Then like, it's almost as if they turn up the sales notch a little more. Like, yeah. Oh, do you want this? Do you want this instead? Do you want that? Like, just no, like, just <laughs> leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> like,
3: yeah. Like, let me, let me be, it's good. And
0: like, move on with the conversation, please. No. So, so to, to circle back, um, I, I know earlier you mentioned your dad, um, unfortunately relapsed when your mom passed. Um, and you said he's been clean about a year now. W- what did that transition look like? If, since you were an adult and you were fully aware of the situation, like did he, did he seek help via treatment or did he quit cold Turkey again? Uh, So he,
3: in a word rough, it was, it was rough. It was, it was really difficult. And yeah, it was, I had a different perspective on it as an adult. He sought help. He participates in AA, um, regular meetings with a sponsor and he's, he's involved in that community very heavily. Um, And it's Saved his life. Like I can, I can say that with a lot of confidence. And with it being something that is still pretty fresh, we haven't like dove in and talk about it. You know, done all of the uncovering. But I can say that, yeah, this this go round and my dad's commitment to being a part of you know AA and being with the sponsor and those everything that has saved his life, without a doubt.
1: I'm sure that the conversations will happen more now that especially since he is going through a, you know, a treatment process with, with help, um, that it's going to be a lot more like communicative. And I think that part of the reason why he may be doing that is because he doesn't have like the kids at home and you know, the stuff that he had the responsibilities he took on before.
3: Yeah. He really, it was the biggest thing. Like my, my mom, without without a shadow of a doubt was like the backbone the linchpin like like the rock of the family for sure so like losing my mom has been incredibly difficult and then there's been things downstream you know that have that have been difficult you know my dad he's he's experiencing life by himself for the first time as an adult at 60. I mean my parents my oldest brother is 39 I think yeah my oldest brother's 39 um, then my next youngest brother he's 38 so my brother James and I we share same mom and dad my oldest brother Michael we have different moms so my brother James and I we grew up together and we were very close so it was always you know my dad my mom my brother James and I and now my dad is experiencing and learning how to do life at for the first time by himself at 60 years old, you know, yeah. uh, we're not in the house. My mom is obviously gone. Um, my dad has a dog that he would sell me up the river for in a split second, because mm-hmm. along with, you know, my dad's treatment and his commitment to that, his dog means the world to him. And, you know, that's just another thing that I do, I do know has saved my dad's life. So yeah. he's.
2: He's navigating some, some tough shit for sure. You know, I, I've never touched alcohol, never taken a sip, uh, anything like that. And I know that you said that in the couple times that you did, they were more, you know, peer pressure situations. I don't know how much you want to get into that, but for anyone listening that, um, has gone through anything with, you know, family member, friend, whatever, what are certain boundaries and things that you set up when you were younger? to not let those peer pressure, you know, situations happen. Uh, I know that I, I have a core group of friends. I, you know, don't really go out of that core group, but you know, from day one, I'm always like, no, like, no, it's not going to happen. And they just never asked, but what are some things that you did to set those boundaries with uh, people?
3: I mean, the biggest thing is just, just saying no and having that decision, that commitment and then that, that conviction, you know, the couple times that I have drank it, I mean, I'm I was in high school. I'm, I've, I work with kids and I, you know, Hey, kids don't drink. It's not good for you, but like I drank one time in high school and another time post high school before I was 21. And it was just like, what's the, what's, what's, what's the point? What's so fun about this? What is, what is the attraction? I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was like, okay. I obviously have the you know the addiction issues and everything in my genes and in my blood. the two times I've tried this, I didn't have fun, and I was like, yeah, I just I don't need to do this i it's not something that I need to play with. It's not something that I need to be a part of, so i just I just had the conviction to say no boundaries that I'd say i'd put up i mean there's probably you know people earlier you know my early 20s that I just kind of disassociated with that I chose to not be as close with if you know my friends or my girlfriend at the time they were going to go out or do something hey go go ahead I'm staying home I'm I don't want to do that I just don't want to be a part of it so I mean just a conviction to say no and disassociating with people who wanted to make it a big deal or make a fuss about it
0: to add to that i will say uh to anyone listening especially if this happens to reach a younger audience that that uh saying no and doing your own thing is actually what's cool i think that looking back and uh the friends that i've had you know like you jd and and all that stuff that have just been like no and you just know just not even ask i look back and i'm like that was that was like it's hard to do especially as an impressionable young adult i know for myself i don't like to not have control of myself so drinking was never my thing but i still wanted to be cool so i smoked a lot of weed because i thought like hey if i'm not drinking then i'll just smoke weed because then nobody will bug me about drinking and neither are a good option i'm not saying that that's the right way to go about that at all and uh, but i just feel like just it's you know the whole say no to drugs and, and just saying, worrying about being cool is, is overrated and being yourself is, is cool. Do you have any other, you mentioned a book earlier. Do you have any other books that you've read that you would recommend for people that maybe were experiencing uh, similar things? Not another one. So just to, just to say it again, Dr. John Deloney, mm-hmm.
3: um, own your past, change your future. He has a podcast that I listen to. Uh, it's a, it's a caller driven podcast. where so people will call in and ask questions Um, it's not necessarily it's not specific to substance abuse but mental health is kind of like the big umbrella of it Mm -hmm. so I get a lot of my kind of my gems and those different things from from him Mm -hmm. Um, and he does a great job of referencing you know other professionals in the field where he gets his ideas from or people that he's able to kind of converse so it's not like you're just being fed like a singular message Mm -hmm. you're able to really kind of dive in and See a lot of different stuff, so I highly, highly, highly recommend that to anybody at any at any phase in any stage of life. If you're struggling with different things that have happened to you in your past, things that you are currently living through, uh, that book has been a really good resource for me that I find myself referencing back to mentally often.
0: Nice. What would be like your your last words uh, to to the listeners? Anyone hears this,
3: Alex? I think you just said it perfectly a couple minutes ago: saying no and doing your own thing is the coolest it's it's you know in in reflection it's it's very easy to say that because i do grasp and i understand that it is it is difficult to to do but being able to have a self-confidence a self-worth and a self-respect to to not let outside things truly affect you at least heavily. I mean, people are going to be affected by things that happen to them in their environments, no matter what you can be the most Zen and at peace person, but it's, it's gonna, it's going to get to you. Yeah. Just being doing your own thing and saying no is cool. I want like a t-shirt of that.
0: <laughs> I, I do. We should make that happen. To the merch, merch, get on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, do you, if somebody hears this and maybe is local or, wanted is going through a similar situation and wanted to reach out and and just kind of pick your brain or or share something with you would you be open to that yeah i definitely would i'm
3: obviously not a professional by any means and i've Mm -hmm. heard you guys talk about it but i i have no problem sharing my experiences and being able to give feedback where i can absolutely
2: if you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction please reach out to the national substance abuse hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help And remember, you're not alone.